our church family who said, uh, who moved to a new house and said, Jordan, you haven't been to our new house yet, and we'd like you to enjoy that, and it'll be an evening of fun and, and food and time with someone that I care about, to bring Jesus into that moment. That's the invitation, I think, of this message in this series, is that the gospel is teaching us this very important truth. And that we can so quickly and often lose sight of is that the presence of God goes with us. And maybe we can't do a whole lot to press too many brakes on all the different things of all the things that we got to get done. You know, Christmas is coming and the grandchildren will be there if your shopping's not done yet. You need to get those things, you know, wrapped up here soon. A little bit of a pun intended. Thank you for the light giggle. Not as much as my laughter last week. I'll have to work harder. But but it's an invitation to slow down and just practice the presence of Christ and to know and fully and deeply appreciate that God goes with us and he cares for us. And so to begin this morning, I'd like to just simply ask God that he would help our minds to slow down and to pay attention to him and what he might share with us this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you, and I thank you for your presence here and your spirit. God, truly, you give us the gift of rest and peace and hope, knowing, Lord, that you are with us. So, God, slow our minds and calm our hearts and help us to hear from you. God, you've certainly pressed a lot on my heart today, and I ask, God, that you would help, help it be shared clearly, that our lives would be attentive to you and pay attention to you and live in your story. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Who's, uh, whose story are you living? A way of talking about our life, we can often get swept up into uh, the hurriedness and busyness of, of our lives, and we will, our lives will eventually tell a story of what we've done, of who we cared for, of how we raised our children, or how we... Uh, loved our spouses or how we lived our lives throughout it and what our story becomes. Whose story are you living and what story are you telling? The story of the Bible invites us to live, to live out God's story. It's a grand invitation to find ourselves caught up and living in God's story for the world. God really first interjects that there's another way to live in Exodus chapter 5. In Exodus chapter 5, we have the Israelites, who are God's people, who have been set aside for a purpose. And their purpose is to live their lives for the glory of God. They are to live their lives in such a way that they are distinct from other nations as a people who worship God only. In Exodus chapter 5, we find the Israelites held captive by Pharaoh and they are in slavery there. And I just, want, I just want to read it quickly, but point something out. The message being about rest, I just want to ask, maybe you think about uh, your work or your life, and maybe, just maybe, you hear something that you sort of relate to. So in Exodus chapter 5, we'll just read a little bit of it. After Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, and they said this, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. 
Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said this, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get them back to work. Then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and the overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. The Pharaoh looks at, he looks at Israel and he sees a numerous people and he says, you know, What would happen to productivity if I let them all have a few days off to go worship God? They need to keep worshiping me. They need to keep uh, keep working for me so that they pay no attention to the lies that are in their life. Just keep working. Work, work, work all day long. I don't know if that's how your life is. Uh, Maybe you're in retirement, but there's still this sort of busyness and hurriedness and the hecticness of your life. And it often feels like we are living the story that Pharaoh wants us to live out. Keep working and don't pay attention to where you're heading. And uh, I was trying to work on some demotivation posters. I was trying to get them on on the screen and they they weren't working right and it was going to totally flop. So I'm just avoiding that. But you've all seen the motivation posters, you know, they're hanging up in your office and and they're like, they're there to encourage you on, you know, it's a guy hanging on by the cliff. And it's, you know, it's like, you know, practice, uh, practice, you know, makes perfect or whatever. And it's to inspire you to do great things. Well, I'm a big fan of being pessimistic, you know. And the demotivation posters, like, they're all just like anti that. Like, you know, why stick your head out, you know, for anyone? You'll, you know, get your head cut off. And, you know, it's like it's all to like really demotiv- demotivate you. And really, I was like, you know, this is kind of what my sermon is today. I'm seeking to demotivate you. And I think that that's, you know, the most inspirational thing I can do for you. Uh, but I say this, I say this because I want to, I want to say a word to you that in a, a culture in a world like ours is going to maybe even sound like a cuss word to you. And, and, and I hope that maybe in some way it does offend you. And it's not a bad word, but it is to a culture that says you have to produce. It is to a culture that says there's quotas you have to meet. And there are all these things that you have to achieve to find success and to find happiness and all of these things. And I just want to say something to you, and I hope it's a good word to you, and that is that you are limited. You are limited. We live in a culture and a world where we want to live our lives as though we are not limited in any way, shape, or form. I have thought about this and the sort of excess in my own life as I think about trying to rationalize all of the things that I have in my life. We can take things to the uppermost extreme in our time, in our energy, in our finances. 
Uh, this last week, I had a lot of fun, but we were certainly, um, you know, testing the boundaries of how much sugar your body can handle. Eric, if you would pull up the picture, please. Uh, this is Oliver, and there are other, uh, there are other teens uh, uh, around him, and I gave them the elf eating, not elf eating, but the elf movie challenge. If you've watched the movie with Will Ferrell and he, he wakes up for breakfast and he has spaghetti, so first he starts with spaghetti for breakfast and then he adds the maple syrup and then the chocolate syrup and then the, it's a very specific Pop-Tart. It's not just any Pop-Tart. It's the fudge brownie Pop-Tart. And then there's M&Ms and there's sprinkles. So I challenged the uh, high schoolers and Oliver wanted in on the action and like a great parent, I said, sure. And... Uh, you know, Oliver, what happened? Did you get a bellyache? Yes. Yeah, I was hoping that it would have the effect like, you know, when your parents made you smoke the whole pack of cigarettes. It didn't affect his sweet tooth in any way. It, and it, I it think it only enhanced it. But uh, all right, you can take that off. Thanks. So, but it's, that's how we live our lives. We don't want to live our lives with any sort of limitation. And we feel like the answer to our tiredness is to caffeine and sugar. The answer to our problems is not to limit ourselves, but to, to seek and attain more and more and more. And God, he knew this story so well. In the story of the Israelites, God is looking to pull Israel out of this world where it's all about labor and production, and he is trying to teach them the most incredible of lessons, and it's to say, you are to trust in me. They find themselves out in the desert and the God gives them food in the morning and there are some who gather more than they need. And they gather in excess because we find that every step away, uh, along the way in the journey of who we are and what we're trying to become, we think that our lives are found in the excess. That, in more, is the, uh, that more is the answer to the emptiness within us. And we think if we could just have more, then we will find the happiness we're so chasing after. What does God do with the extra that the people gather, but it just rots right in front of them? And there's this really challenging question that came, uh, came from an interview from, with A.J. Swoboda, and he said, maybe God allows our work to rot because we're not willing to rest. That in our pursuits of so much excess in our lives, we, uh, God lets these things sort of rot away because they're not anything that's good for us. And so God, I think he, he, sees, he sees us seeking so much. And really, we live our lives in this denial that we're limited. We are the first, I know, this is kind of weird, we're the first biodegradable uh, containers. Think about that. We're all biodegradable. The straws, they're going to outlast us. Unless you have the paper straws, which are an abomination. You all agree with me. I mean, if there's any point today, you're like, those paper straws are the worst, you know? But the plastic straws, they're going to outlast all of us. We're the first biodegradable containers. But we live in denial that we are fallible, that we are broken, that we are limited. And we live our lives thinking as though we can outlast if only we surround ourselves with enough stuff, with enough production, with enough whatever you fill the blank in with. God says you're limited. 
and we hear this as bad news, but I hear it as great news. I hear it as great news that I don't have to live my life in excess to find meaning and purpose and hope and salvation. I don't have to live my life in complete denial that I am limited because God has done something about me being limited. That I can't earn it, I can't earn salvation, I can't run the race fast enough. Well, we all know that to be true. But all of us know that there is this truth and there is this hope and there is this salvation given to those who can't earn their salvation for themselves and it's Christ. And there's an answer. There's an answer to our limitation. There are some people in the Bible who have inspired generation after generation to realize this truth. And one of the greatest people, if you're wondering if this is a Christmas story or not, well, I wondered for a long time myself, but it is. Because in the story of Luke, and if you look at Luke chapter 1, and you see the, one of the most incredible women ever to live in the world. You see Mary, who is told an incredible amount of information. And I just want to share with you, and it's Luke chapter 1. We'll begin in verse 29. Well, let's look, uh, look, let's look at 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the powers of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth uh, who is unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And I want you to hear Mary's words. Mary's words to the news that you are going to have a child and will be the Son of the Most High. I am the Lord's servant, and may your word to me be fulfilled. When we look at all of the things that we can achieve in our lives, and we look at how we want to live and, and spend our lives, I want you to see Mary, who embraced limitation. It wasn't, let me run and do my will. Let me go and do my thing. I have my whole life before me. A young woman simply says, I am your servant. I am a servant of the Lord, and may your will be done. May your words be accomplished. And one day her son would teach people how to pray a simple prayer, the same sort of vein and same words that her, his mother said. Let your will be done and not my will be done. As it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus would take the same words as Mary expresses here. That we are the Lord's servants. 
and ready to live for him. She embraces the limitation that God puts on her, says, you're going to be pregnant. And she's like, how is this going to happen? How does that work? May your word be done, Lord. May it be accomplished. There are people in the story of Christmas, on the back side of it, after Jesus is born, they go to the temple, and there are a couple of inspirational people. The first one is Simeon, who has been drawn to the temple because he's been informed by, uh, by the Spirit that the Messiah is coming, and there he was. But then there's, uh, there he was, day in and day out, I think, looking and waiting and anticipating. He was told he wasn't going to die until he knew that the Messiah would come. And so he gave his life and he embraced the limitation of saying, I am going to be dedicated to the Lord. The second person is right after. It's in, uh, towards the end of Luke 2. And it's the woman, the prophet Anna. And Anna, she was married for seven years and she was either lived to be 84 or was married uh, or went on for 84 years. The text doesn't really help you. She's old. But she was dedicated to the Lord every day and she went to the temple every day. She never left the temple because she was anticipating that God was doing something. She embraced limitation and when she embraced that limitation of saying, my life will be dedicated to the Lord, her life found the greatest fulfillment and the greatest hope and that is for us. I know, it's Christmas so babies draw your attention. You guys should see yourselves. Oh, baby. Sorry, Audrey. That was very... You know, whatever. I'm terrible. But Anna embraced the limitation of saying, my life will be completely dedicated to the Lord and His people and anticipating this message that the Lord is coming and the Messiah is coming. Embracing our limitation allows us to experience the rest and peace and hope of God that we can't be all things to all people all the time that we have to embrace that there is a word that we can say and it's okay no we can say no so we can say yes to the good things because we are limited and so we don't try and live our lives like that's not the truth we don't live our lives in the excess we say to ourselves what can I do without so that I can do the greater things and the best things with my limited life. Saying no to so much so that I can say yes to the very best thing. The Israelites, all they wanted to do was leave for a few days so they could go and worship the Lord. And the rest of the story is filled with heartache and suffering and pain. What would have happened if he would have just said, yeah, go ahead. I don't know. Obviously it didn't happen that way and I don't know why I even brought that up. Other than there's something that happens in the Gospels. You see God, he instilled with the Israelites, he said, you are going to have Sabbath. You're going to have a day, a 24 hour period where there's no work. And the Israelites, they totally bungle it. They mess it all up and they, they lose the spirit of it. But Jesus comes and he says, you know, we're not made to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made to serve us. And Jesus constantly does battle, spiritual battle on Sabbath. 
if you look through the scriptures and you see some, God is doing something on Sabbath days. Jesus does battle with demons and he brings healing on Sabbath. You know, we live in a pretty distracted world. Uh, you've probably made five or six rabbit trails, and if I could bring you back in your own mind to, you know, to focus in on how many different distractions do we have in a day? I've reached a new point. I used to walk into rooms and forget why I went in there. Now I turn on my phone and I look up an app and I forget what I was Google searching. I have problems, I know. I read that on average we touch our phones, and this is including typing, 2,600 times a day. If you have a touch phone, it's probably more because you have to keep uh, going back, you know, or the old school phone, it's like, oh, you messed up a word. I think they're worse off. I'm just picking on, Adam's not here, so, but anyways, 2,600 times. We, um, we, we have um, any number of hours spent playing Candy Crush, and uh, Bejeweled was the game, you know, when I was young. I don't know, is anybody still playing Bejeweled anymore? I'd hate to know the logged-in hours of Madden 2004 when I was in college. Um, there were days, I'm sure, spent, full days, and nonsense. Would you agree with me that your life is limited? So how should we spend it? And I keep running after and I keep chasing after all of these things and I live my life in this complete distracted state so that I don't have to spend any time thinking about things that really matter. In the distracted state of scrolling through Facebook or whatever that vice might be for any number of us, how many people could we have prayed for? we would just take the hour that we use blowing on uh wendy and i blowing in the evening when we watch a show you know we've you can only go through west wing so many times what are we gonna what could we do instead but to pray for our church family pray for our friends spend time reading god's word together how many different distractions do we have if our life is limited how should we use it if you were given more hours in the day, what would you do with them? I would like to think that I would dedicate, you know, all the new hours to the Lord, but I would just blow them off like I do all the other hours, right? You would just make the same mistakes. And so the question for me has become, how do I embrace this sort of limitation? How do I realize that I can't be all things to everyone and everything? How do I know that there is rest and there's peace and there's hope for me? And it comes back to the invitation that Jesus gives all of those who want to come and follow him. Jesus invites anyone who would come and be his disciple to take and carry their crosses. He says, if you will be my disciple, if you will follow me, you will take on a cross. And if we don't see that as a limitation, then I think we're missing the mark. Because he's saying... It's not about pursuing all of these other things. It's about pursuing me. And it's about denying yourself. And it's about taking on the cross and saying, I am going to be swept up into the story of God. And it's no longer about my life. It's about his life. The story of Mary, the story of Simeon, and the story of Anna is three stories of people who have said, 
I will give my life and dedicate my life to the Lord. I will be the Lord's servant and may his will be done. I don't know how to land this plane other than to say and invite you to embrace your own limitation and find and discover that the greatest life is found in embracing that God's limitation on your life, that you can't be all of these other things, but you can be what God desires you to be. And it's an invitation for you to embrace that that can be enough. That Christ is enough. That Christ is enough for you and live your life for Him. I have one last thing, but I want to pray and then the worship team will come up and I'll close it out. I think the plan, the plane will land then. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we understand that we are limited and that our only hope is you. And God, I'd ask that you would help us to find peace and strength in knowing that that is enough. That it's enough to know that you are there for us and you care for us. And God, I, I pray that we would slow down to enjoy you that we would slow down to experience you that we would slow down enough to pray with you and seek you and seek your desires that we would join in the story of Mary and so many who would say Lord we are your servants may your will be done we love you Lord it's in Jesus name Amen. Psalm 31.5 is a psalm I opened with in our time together. And the psalm says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. It was a Jewish uh, children's prayer from what I've read. The children would pray and they would memorize. Every night before they, they went to bed, they would say, Into your hands I trust my spirit. Into your hands I trust in you. And it's every night they would go to bed and they would wake up in the morning and it was this routine. It was day in and day out. And they would say, Into your hands I trust my spirit. It was our modern day, um, now I lay my head down to rest. Or my soul to keep. I've never prayed it, but anyways... You might have had parents pray it over you or something like that. When Jesus is at the cross, his final words are to say, into your hands I commit my spirit. It is this trust that God is caring for him. That whatever the next thing is to come is the trust in this evening, in this moment, in the giving of his life, he trusted his hands into his Father's. We can run after any number of things. And we can chase after the world and we can deny any limitations that we might have. But the truth is, is that that life will lead us nowhere. The greatest life comes by embracing limitation. If you'd stand for the reading of Philippians 2. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. 
who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledged that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. God invites us to rest so that we might experience him. You can keep going on the treadmill and you will get nowhere. Step off and trust in him. Let's continue in our worship. Adore. 